Wake up, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Outspoken with Joy Silver, where we talk about progressive politics and practical solutions. I want to give a shout out to some of our listeners, Lois G., Joan S., Ruthie B., Tracy and Daryl. They listen to me and they tell me about it. Our podcast today is presented by Harcourt's Desert Homes in Palm Springs. You're just minutes away from learning why Scott Palermo and James Sanic and their team of real estate professionals are your best solution for buying or selling a home in the Coachella Valley. And you'll find them online at harcourtdeserthomes.com. And today, we turn our focus to Florida's dangerous woke law. Our guest today is Eric Santel. He teaches composition and rhetoric at a public university. He's published articles in the peer-reviewed journals, Technical Communication and Relevant Rhetoric. He blogs on Medium at ericsantel.medium.com. Welcome to the show, Eric. I'm very excited to have you as our guest today. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, we have quite the discussion today, but before we get into all of the questions that certainly our listeners want to know about, tell us, what does it mean to be woke, and what is the history of that term? Well, I'll confess to not being super familiar with the history. Um, I've heard that it goes all the way back to James Baldwin. Um, I know that it is coming out of the African-American community and towards some of their social justice efforts. Um, For me personally, to be woke means simply to be aware of what's going on around me and different perspectives and voices and to give weight and value to many different perspectives and diverse beliefs and experiences. You know, instead of just assuming that everyone has my experience as a straight, white, cisgender, male in rural Missouri, um, instead recognize that different people have very different experiences, and that informs their perspectives and informs what they would like to see happen in our society. So to be sensitive, there's something wrong with that, to want to be sensitive to other people's situation and what their life experience is. I mean, what is this Florida HB7 Woke Act then, and how does it exactly read? Um, the Stop Wrongs to Our Kids and Employees Act, or Stop Woke Act, uh, it forbids any training in the workplace or any instruction in classrooms um, that teaches that individuals are, quote, inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously, end quote, uh, that people are privileged or oppressed based on race, gender, or national origin, or that a person, quote, bears personal responsibility for and must feel guilt, anguish, or other forms of psychological distress, end quote, over actions committed in the past by members of the same race, gender, or national origin. Um, so any kind of diversity training that might point out to me that as you know, a white man, I uh, am not used to seeing or hearing other perspectives, and maybe I need to take a, a a breath and try to actively seek out and listen to other perspectives like that could be considered woke and that could be considered you know saying that i'm inherently privileged and therefore that kind of training might be forbidden now the act does try to carve out some room for teaching historical facts and events in schools you know the law allows instruction about 
how the individual freedoms of persons have been infringed by slavery, racial oppression, racial segregation, and racial discrimination, how laws enforced racial discrimination, and also how recognition of individual freedoms, you know, such as in the civil rights movement, overturned these unjust laws. But then the law has this provision. It prohibits instructional materials, such as textbooks or handouts, that reflect, quote, unfairly upon persons because of their race, color, creed, national origin, ancestry, gender, religion, end quote, or other characteristics. And to me, that word unfairly opens up the possibility for censorship um, in diversity trainings at workplaces, as well as how we teach history and civics in our schools. Wow, that is an incredible situation that we're looking at. What is What about the LGBT? I guess that's uh, one of the things that, uh, well, diversity training, we can't do that under that law, right? Is This is the uh, don't say gay law, is it not? Well, there's lots of stuff going on in the state of Florida right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's the don't say gay bill, which is directly aimed at excluding any instruction of gender or sexual identity in grades K through third grade, kindergarten through third grade. And, then, and that, it by itself, is pretty unobjectionable. I mean, most people would say, uh, okay, we're not doing that anyway in kindergarten through third grade. So, all right, you've got a law expressing, you know, what we are already not doing, fine. But then the law goes further and says, or in any manner that is not age appropriate. Well, that's extremely vague. So now we're getting into how does this affect our high school sex ed curricula, how does this affect the, uh, teachers? You know, a gay teacher may have a photo of, of themselves and their partner, and then a kid asks about it, or, you know, now do I need to put my picture down because this is going to be in violation of the don't say gay law that was just recently passed. And then separate from that is the Stop Woke Act, um, which is, you know, very similar in that it's trying to police language and police what people talk about and how they address systemic racism and social justice. Um, but those are two separate um, bills. And then there's also a, a third thing where, uh, I forget the name of it, but it's an anti-CRT executive order that Ron DeSantis signed into effect, I think, last year. So there's a lot of stuff going on in Florida. It's hard to keep track of them all. Well, you do mean the critical race theory situation, right, when you said the CRT? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know I'm digressing over the don't say gay law, but I was just thinking about your response to um, the uh, teaching of the diversity at a young age. And I'm thinking to myself, what is the first book we learned to read on? See Spot Run, there was See Mother see mother go, see father, see father go. They're already teaching heterosexuality uh, from the first grade when people learn to read. So um, I'm not so sure that uh, we shouldn't be teaching at least familial or family relationships that actually exist in our society today as we're learning to read to, uh, in, to that inclusivity. But I know that's not something Florida wants to do. I do want to get the, back into this, um, this woke act mm-hmm. because yeah. what what was the need for a bill like this what do you think generated the need from governor DeSantis to I would say perpetrate this kind of a bill uh, on Floridians 
Well, I'm I'm not in his mind or in his um, campaign war room, if you will. But to me, it seems very clear that it's part of a strategy to win elections. And it's also seems to be part of Ron DeSantis's ongoing feud with Disney. So in the state of Virginia, the Republican governor there, uh, Glenn Youngkin, uh, won in part by championing parents' rights in education. You know, he raised these concerns about what schools were teaching and if they were teaching critical race theory or if they were teaching other things related to race and anti-racism. And it turned out to be a winning strategy. He won that election, and in the wake of winning that election, many people started to say, well, maybe this is the blueprint for Republicans across the country. And so you see, you've seen Republicans across the country seeking to replicate that kind of electoral success by creating this concern and this almost hysteria about CRT, which is a graduate-level legal framework for thinking about how racism is present in American society and our legal system. It's not something that's being taught in K-12. It's not taught in most undergraduate curriculums. Um, and yet they're creating this concern about it in order to get parents very angry and upset and worried and then to vote for the person promising to protect them. You know, Donald Trump convinced people who felt left behind by their country due to globalization, the loss of manufacturing jobs and cultural and demographic changes. He convinced those people that he would fight like hell for them. And I would argue that Fox News had primed Republicans for that kind of candidate for a good 20 years. Um, and then he's, now we see Glenn Youngkin, Ron DeSantis, and other Republicans, I think, wanting to use that Trump playbook. Mm. And then the other layer to it is the feud with Disney. Um, you know, Disney CEO expressed concerns about the Don't Say Gay bill, and now all of a sudden it's very important to regulate what businesses and workplaces as well as schools are teaching and training their employees in. There's two pieces, uh, there are two things that I that I want to talk about um, in what you've just said. Uh, first of all, this is what stuck out in my mind when you read the bill, inherently racist. I think mm-hmm. you said something about inherently racist. And so if the institution cannot be seen as inherently racist and the people who are, who are supporting an inherently racist institution Will, cannot be seen as such. I mean, how can slavery be anything but that? Yes, that's a great point. <laughs> and I think that's where, you know, these kinds of bills really run into problems um, because, you know, it maybe sounds good in theory in the abstract. Like, well, no, we shouldn't teach that, you know, any people or any systems could be inherently racist or privileged. But then how do you teach students about slavery in an intellectually honest way? Um, it, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, the other piece of that, and I, I want to go back to, and I am going back uh, to the 70s during the, um, the, that wave of feminism. One of the things that w- became clear to women, and certainly um, I was one of those women, uh, that men could not see how s- certain situations or institutions or um, experiences were sexist. They could not see it, and they did not understand the experience of a woman in her daily life, where she's dealing with uh, assault and sexism and, and constantly, all the time. 
And so one of the things that we learned was that we know a hell of a lot about men, but they did not know about us. And I can see that that is because if the dominant culture has the power, you have to learn how to navigate in that world where they call the shots. So when we would say to a guy at that time, and I'm sure it isn't so different today, uh, let me tell you something, getting a job with a male boss was no easy job. <laughs> I mean, you had to be feminine enough, but not too feminine so you didn't, so that you look like you could actually do the job. I mean, the, the, the tightrope walking was just incredible. And God knows, never get into an elevator with your boss alone. This is what I personally learned. <laughs> I won't go into that particular situation, but let me tell you, these are some of the safety things. And never walk on the subway by yourself unless you're in there. I mean, there are just so many safety facts. Cross the street if you see a gang of young white men. I mean, there's so many things that we learned in order to protect ourselves and live in the world and navigate our way. And I know that this is the same situation for uh, people of color who can certainly say they have, those who are privileged certainly do not know they are privileged because they have absolutely no experience of their life. They figure, well, if I can get a job, anybody can get a job. If I can get a scholarship from this school, anybody can do it. If I can buy a house, anybody can buy a house. Guess what? That's not true. So I think that this entire law, I mean, would you say that this piece of legislation is a tool to reassert wife white privilege and other extremist views yes i i would certainly say that um you know that i think you put that all very well um and i would add too you know robin d'angelo's book white fragility describes the many different ways that white people shut down discussions of race and racism because they're so uncomfortable with those kinds of discussions um and the stop woke Act is literally white people using their institutional power to shut down discussions of race and racism. Um, and I, you know, I would say um, that that extremist view is, as you described, as it is of the political far right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hyper radical individualism. You know, so if you know more recently, you know, stop woke is. Um, you know, taking aim at schools and businesses. But there's also an, the uh, the executive order that I mentioned earlier that was anti-CRT. And under that executive order, um, they the state of Florida rejected dozens of math textbooks um, and that they said had elements of critical race theory in them. And so you start digging, well, what do you mean by that? And they say, well, it has social and emotional learning in it. You what? You don't want kids learning about social and emotional things, like you know, and you don't want them learning how to work well together and collaborate well together, respect other points of view. Um, and then you start to you know dig further into what they're saying, and you're realizing, okay, they're just redefining things like social and emotional learning as critical race theory because they were saying for so long that critical race theory was being taught in schools, and now people are starting to realize, no, actually it's not. Okay, well, no, what's really being taught is critical race theory by another name, social and emotional learning. Um, and, and so things like, you know, in these math textbooks, they would have, you know, maybe a profile, profiles of famous mathematicians, including 
a black mathematician or a female mathematician, you know, these underrepresented groups. And that was enough to get this math textbook, you know, excluded from consideration. And so, I mean, if you're a principal or a teacher at a, you know, majority African-American school and you want a textbook with representation, you're out of luck now in the state of Florida um, because of these laws. I mean, so we have actual institutional power being put, used to suppress some points of view, some perspectives, or even just what we might describe as good common sense, you know, <laughs> teaching kids to care about other people and to work well with other people and hear, respect other views. You know, things that I think any good parent or good teacher would, would want to instill in children, we're now relabeling as critical race theory by another name so that we can suppress that and maintain the status quo. You know, well, hold, hold on to that thought, especially sure, the yeah. thought about uh, good common sense, <laughs> because we do need to get back into that conversation. And I do want to say that before, um, before we take our short break, equality seems like uh, oppression to the privileged. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, our discussion about Florida's woke law with our guest Eric Sintel will continue in a few moments. Uh, but first, we are thrilled to have Harcourt's Desert Homes as our presenting sponsor and to tell you more about how they set themselves apart from so many other realtors in the Coachella Valley. Here are Scott Palermo and James Sanek. Hello, I'm Scott Palermo. And I'm James Sanek. We'd like to take a moment to share with you our unique and successful approach to working with Coachella Valley home buyers, sellers, and real estate investors. Our goal is to build a people-first brokerage, and a significant part of that is making certain that our customers can always count on working with quality, like-minded agents. At Harcourt's Desert Homes, James, myself, and our extraordinary team of dedicated real estate professionals are privileged to work with the best clients through our commitment to personal service and attention to a client's every detail. That commitment is how we have achieved the honor of being ranked to the top 1% of realtors in the desert cities. We have been named to the best of the best realtors in the Coachella Valley by Palm Springs Life magazine. Scott mentioned the word unique a moment ago, but it's not just a marketing buzzword for Harcourt's Desert Homes. In fact, it's our superpower for helping clients worldwide. Harcourt's International is one of the half dozen most successful real estate companies around the globe with more than $34 billion in annual revenue. And it's the unique selling proposition that led us to affiliate our brokerage with Harcourt's here in the Coachella Valley. That's right, James, Harcourt's Auctions. This platform separates our brand from the rest of the pack. Think of this as a marketing tool similar to Christie's Art Auction in New York City. Just as with other luxury items and fine art, Harcourt's Auction sells luxury real estate to high net worth consumers. For more than six years, our brokerage has won more than 100 sales production awards. We'd love to put that achievement to work for you. We specialize in properties in Palm Springs, Rancho Mirage, Palm Desert, Indian Wells, and La Quinta. If we can help you, please reach out to us at 760-864-4100. Again, that's 760-864-4100. Or visit Harcourt's Desert Homes online at harcourtsdeserthomes.com. That's H-A-R-C-O-R-C-O-R-T-S 
DesertHomes.com, Harcourt's Desert Homes. We're located at 119 North Indian Canyon Drive in downtown Palm Springs. Remember, in real estate, knowledge is power. And we are back with our guest, Dr. Eric Santel. He's joining us on Outspoken, and this is Joy Silver, and with this is Radio 111. So this common sense idea, uh, someone once told me uh, that common sense is not so common. So I, <laughs> I, I do want to talk about that. But I do want to talk about history, because you talked about something very important just now. And history and the truth of history, whoever tells the narrative of history is usually the, those of the, that have the institutional power. So, yeah. but has the cat, as it were, the proverbial cat, has the cat been let out of the bag at this point in time? I mean, the narratives of history have been fortified and diversified by streaming elements and Mm, uh, uh, content uh, on series and films and TV series and cable series and streaming series. I mean, we are now seeing a plethora of stories told by people about themselves that do not tell the story that certainly I was brought up with as to what history is. So hasn't the cat been let out of the proverbial bag from your point of view? Yes, I would agree that it has been. Um, and I think actually that's why we're seeing, that's a big reason why we're seeing this sweeping legislation across the country. I mean, dozens of states, I think 39 states now have enacted some kind of anti-critical race theory bill or anti-woke law or executive order or some combination of that. And I think that we're seeing that because the cat's been let out of the bag. They're trying to shove the cat back in. Um, <laughs> you know, they're they're having this very, what might be described as a white lash, um, because they don't want to have discussions about systemic racism and other systemic problems, because the system, as we have it now, is not really working well for the vast majority of people, including white people. And we need systemic solutions to these systemic issues. But if we can put the cat back in the bag and say, no, 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 it's not about systemic racism or systemic sexism. Um, it's about just individuals. You know, people need to, you know, be good people um, and good moral people. And trying to teach our children about systemic racism is going to make them feel demonized and we've got to stop that because it's all about the individual it's not about the system well that benefits the political far right because then they can maintain the status quo as it is um through you know this emphasis on radical individualism you know that's 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 interesting it this is a this is um kind of the the tight rope i think uh for me here are bills that are talking about it's about the individual and the individual's accountability. But on the on the absolute other side of the unbalanced balance that that's being that, that that they're trying to achieve with a bill like this, they're basically saying it's really nobody's fault that these things happened. So either you're accountable or you're not accountable, but you, it doesn't seem that you can be both. So which is it? Is the individual and the things they belong to are 
are they then accountable or are they not accountable? Do institutions uh, uh, have people in them? Are people in power in those institutions and in those businesses? And those businesses and institutions do not have to be accountable, but the person has to be? So what are they made up of? I mean, it's a really strange notion from my perspective um, that accountability always seems to be the subject, and yet there's a, a constant finger pointing at somebody else to be accountable, but not the actual uh, people who have the power. The people with the most power point to the people with the least amount of power and say they are the ones that they are the ones that have done this. The people that are actually the victims of the power over. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's very much you know free speech for me, but not for you. Um, <laughs> it's you know very much accountability for you, but not for me. Right. Um, and and I again, I'll reference you know Robin D'Angelo's book White Fragility. You know, I know that it's gotten some criticism from even progressives, um, but I thought that book did a very good job of explaining the thought process behind this idea of white fragility that you know white people in general tend to be very uncomfortable having conversations about race because it's just not something we talk about very much and when we are forced to have this kind of conversation and talk about it it can become very psychologically uncomfortable and you know you can respond to that in a number of different ways and most of the time according to her argument we you know white people tend to respond by being very fragile this is so uncomfortable i want to stop it i want to get out of this conversation i want to shut it down um and so if you think about it in in that way the logic starts to make more sense you know so yes um you know it's all about the individual and you know a person could be an individual person could be racist but I'm not racist, so, you know, and trying to say that a system is racist makes it seem like I'm racist, and I, I'm not, because I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. Um, yes, there was racism in slavery. Yes, there was even some racism in Jim Crow segregation in the South, but that was in the past. Right. That, that doesn't really have anything to do with now, and when you, you start to try to bring that to the present and point out the legacies of Jim Crow segregation and lynching and redlining and all the um, ongoing systemic racism and implicit bias and things like that that people don't even intend or realize are having disproportionate effects on people of color. And um, they, you bring that up and try to update their thinking in that way, and then it becomes, you know, well, no, no, you're just woke. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're woke, just, yeah. Like, yeah, that's a put a down. That, right, right. And, and there's something wrong with social justice, that would mean. I mean, uh, this yeah. is this is a disparagement. I mean, I'm not really sure about that one. That's for sure. I mean, but, you know, um, one of the things that you're talking about, you brought in the, the, the aspect of Disney into the conversation. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, bills like this, because... Uh, do bills like this um, affect business? Well, there's a couple ways that it does. And as each of the businesses and business interests, we know that there's a semi-crisis in um, the, the, uh, the great resignation caused a semi-crisis. And still, it's very difficult to recruit uh, staff and employees. So these bills are going against business interest in that way, from my perspective, but also the product. We just talked about um, visual content and you know, film and, and TV and, and other products as well. 
ultimately, isn't it against business interests to have bills like this? I mean, this party was about the business interests, and yet it's starting to look like it's becoming the antithesis with Disney being the first one to stand up. Would you see it similarly? I do see it similarly. Um, I think most businesses have recognized that it's in their best interest from a business standpoint to be responsible parties from a social standpoint and to acknowledge inequities in our society and try to work toward solutions and solving them. It's something that people care about, especially young people. And young people are the next generation of workers. I mean, if you're, you know, eventually you're going to have to replace your uh, older workers. And who are you going to be drawing from? Well, you're going to be drawing from younger people who care very much about these issues. Those are your younger, younger people will be your consumers of the future as well, um, as well, not to mention the present. And so I, I do think most Disney and most other businesses recognize that there's much more in their interest to be inclusive. Um, and I think that, you know, the Republican Party, it, it just is not what it used to be. Um, I have to remind myself of that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, every time I think to myself, how could the party of small, limited government support <laughs> this kind of intrusion? I remind myself, oh, wait, they're not that party anymore. Right. Um, they're much more the party of, you know, well, we want rights for us, but not for you. And we want our business interest. Well, we think are our business interests, like low taxes and uh, no regulation. We want that for us, but we also want to, you know, put a stop to this inclusion thing um, because we would rather put the cat back in the bag. Right. We would rather things be the way they were in the 1950s. Yeah. Some, some golden era that never existed. Uh, there's some sort of well and and it kind of reminds me of the Adam and Eve story in the Garden of Eden but we won't go down that road right now some golden era that never really existed for the people who were involved that's for sure Um, there are five basic civil rights and I do want to mention this because we're getting close to the end of our show Uh, but these kinds of laws um, does this kind of a law violate the basic civil rights so we're looking at first of all the right to vote so there is some I would say suppression and oppression involved in laws like this the right to a fair trial which is always a political issue right because we know uh, money buys you justice in the society, the better legal, the more money you have, the longer you can go forward in your cases, and certainly the better legal representation you can have. The right to government services, I would certainly say a law like this violates that particular right. The right to public education, well, there's a whole concept of what is public education. Certainly a law like this is undermining what we understood public education was about. And then there's the right to use public facilities. So do you see laws like this uh, violating these five rights, these civil rights? I, as a citizen, I think so. I'm not a lawyer, but I suspect a lot of lawyers would argue based on 
the you know the relevant statutes and, and laws, you know, and the, how they're worded. That no, this doesn't violate these civil rights from a purely legal standpoint. Hmm. I mean, I think you know kids in Florida will still get an education, but I would argue they may not be getting a very good education. And so I think you know as a citizen, I certainly think it violates these rights. Um, you know, if I put um, my false the lawyer had a hon, I could imagine, you know, the argument that no, they don't violate it from a purely legal standpoint. But I, then again, I could see uh, lawyers making the argument that, you know, a right to a public education implies a, a right to a quality education. I certainly think there's room for some robust debate there um, about how these kind of laws affect civil rights. You know, um, one of the things uh, in this conversation, and, and certainly something I stated earlier in response to uh, what you presented today, and I want to thank you for talking about this very critical, shall I say, subject, um, the the idea that someone does not see the truth or reality of someone else's experience, not only doesn't see it, but has no experience of it at all, these kind of laws, like the woke law, is certainly undermining the ability. It's it's making it legal for people not to have the experience of others, and so yeah. they will never really understand why people think the way they do, or guarantee them any uh, any of those civil rights that we just mentioned. So, what do you think we can do about it, Eric? <laughs> need to stand up and push back um, we need to stand up and say no this is you know you're labeling social emotional learning as, as critical race theory and it's not and we need to push back and say these are values and skills that we want every good person to, to have these are things that will make our students more employable in the future you know I've had people push back and say you know this social emotional learning stuff is bogus and because um, students just need to be able to get the right answer. The math, it doesn't need to be in the math textbook. But then, you know, the students who are struggling with math and are working on a group project, if they learn some of those skills now, they can learn, you know, be a better, more collaborative worker in the future. You know, employers say they want collaborative, creative problem solvers. So I think we stand up and we push back and on when these terms get um, co-opted and I think we also should get ahead of the next boogeyman. We need to figure out, you know, what is it that uh, people will next turn into a co-opted term and create hysteria over. You know, first it was CRT, and then we responded, people don't teach CRT in K-12. So now it's social and emotional learning because that's CRT in disguise. <laughs> um, and so I think we should be asking ourselves, what's the next idea that the political far right will demonize and how do we get ahead of that and frame that idea for the public before they get a chance to demonize it well i hope you'll join our show and tell us what those things are in a later and future uh <laughs> podcast and thank you again to our guest eric Sintel, for joining us on outspoken this is joy silver we remind you that you can always access our podcast from radio 111.com or from all major podcast portals if you would like to email me you may do so by writing to joy at radio111.com. And when you need help selling or purchasing a home in the greater Palm Springs area, please contact our presenting sponsor, Harcourt Desert Homes. Their website is just a click away from our show notes today. Their generous support makes it possible 
for us to bring you this podcast. Hey!